because you didn't meet last week, but most of you would have listened in to James's introductory sermon to the series. And he explained how the books of Kings is not a blow-by-blow account of all the history, but rather of just selected events that reveal the spiritual reckoning about the reign of each monarch, the spiritual side of their uh, reign. So let's look now specifically at Solomon. Solomon started so well. It wasn't just that God blessed him with wealth and privilege and wisdom, as we saw in the introduction to today's sermon. Actually, God appeared to Solomon on two occasions, which is a pretty remarkable thing. You would have thought that with that start, he would have done very, very well. On the first occasion that God appeared to him, God offered him a gift of anything he asked for, and he chose wisdom. We read in 1 Kings 3.9, So give your servant a discerning heart to govern your people and to distinguish between right and wrong. For who is able to govern this great people of yours? So Solomon is referred to as a wise person, but actually what he asked for was discernment in order to govern well. He wanted success as a king and he wanted um, success for his nation. There's many sorts of wisdom and intelligence. Um, The traditional idea of intellect covers things like language and maths and spatial ability. And some years back, the term emotional intelligence was coined. This is referring to social skills and the understanding of both others and of self. And more recently, we've seen uh, cultural intelligence, which describes the sensitivity to other cultural systems and norms. Solomon, in his case, had discernment to judge others, to see right from wrong. And the proof that God had granted him this kind of wisdom is demonstrated in the account of the two women claiming to be the mother of one child. You can read this in 1 Kings 3, 16 to 28. But at the end of that story, the punchline in verse 28 reads, when all Israel heard the verdict the king had given, they held the king in awe because he, they saw that he had wisdom from God to administer justice. So that tells us that Solomon got exactly what he asked for. He was able to govern well. But the story of Solomon then shows us that even this wisdom did not keep Solomon devoted to God. No amount of wisdom or wealth can keep our hearts from straying from God. So I'll ask you to pause for a while and reflect that if God gave you everything you ever wanted or the thing your heart most desires, would you remain obedient to him? Now, in this passage in Kings, there's more than just the issue of the wives. There's actually three issues that are raised. But I want to look back at the passage that James referred to last week in Deuteronomy 17, that where Moses gives instructions for when Israel might have a king in the future. Deuteronomy 17:14. When you enter the land the Lord your God is giving you and have taken possession of it and settled in it, and you say... Let us set a king over us like all the nations around us. Be sure to appoint over you a a king the Lord your God chooses. 
you may be from among your fellow Israelites. Do not place a foreigner over you who is not an Israelite. The king, moreover, must not acquire quite great numbers of horses for himself or make the people return to Egypt to get more of them. For the Lord has told you you are not to go back that way. He must not take many wives or his heart will be led astray and he must not accumulate large amounts of silver and gold. So we see in those passages three issues referring to safety or national security, military might in the form of horses. We see the issue of accumulation of personal riches and wealth. And we see the issue of many wives. How did Solomon do against these rules? Well, in some earlier passages in Kings, um, we read in Kings chapter 4, during Solomon's lifetime, Judah and Israel from Dan to Bethshema lived in safety, everyone under their own vine and under their own fig tree. And Solomon had 4,000 stalls of chariot horses and 12,000 horses. The district governor, each in his month, supplied provisions to King Solomon and all who came to the king's table. They saw to it that nothing was lacking, and they also brought to the proper place the quotas of barley and straw for the chariot horses and other horses. So Solomon's lifestyle uh, was a drain on the people. They had to contribute greatly, uh, continually. In uh, chapter 10, we get more details of Solomon's lifestyle. We read in verse 21 that all King Solomon's goblets were gold and all the household articles in the palace of the forest of Lebanon were pure gold. And later on that Solomon's horses were imported from Egypt and from Kew. Well, that's in direct contradiction of Deuteronomy. Don't go back to Egypt to get horses. So it seems that Solomon was relying on earthly strength for the security of his kingdom and he was not relying on God as he was expected to do. In particular, he sourced his horses from Egypt against Moses' decree. Now Solomon also built the temple and remodeled the palace and built up many towns in the land, strongholds throughout the land. All this is good thing, public infrastructure. But it required heavy taxes that were not relaxed during his reign. And indeed, this is the first request made to his son after Solomon died. The people pleaded, please ease the taxes on the people. But Rehoboam's reply led to the dividing of the kingdom in the very next chapter. But the third point that we're focusing on today is we see that Solomon also accumulated a ridiculous number of wives and concubines. Now, this is not just about sexual pleasure, although that is in scope here but it is partly about the security and the alliances with surrounding nations. In the NIV, NIV version of our passage, reads, King Solomon, however, loved many foreign wives besides Pharaoh's daughter, Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sodomites, and Hittites. And they were from nations about which God had told the Israelites, you must not intermarry with them, because they will surely turn your hearts after their gods. Nevertheless, Solomon held fast to them in love. And as he grew old, his wives turned his hearts after other gods. His heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of his da uh, father David had been. 
And in this way, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't follow the Lord completely. Now, it's interesting to note that Solomon's first wife is from Egypt, but she's specifically not mentioned with those who worshipped their own gods and led Solomon astray. Solomon was probably still wrong to marry her as the Israelites were not to go back to Egypt, but she's not the focus here. The key issue pointed to here is the orientation of Solomon's heart in verse uh, 4. Now before we move on, I just um, I think this looks like it's a little out of place, but I wanted to mention um, the building of the temple and the palace. We read at the end of chapter 6 that he spent seven years building the temple. And then in the beginning of the next chapter, Solomon took 13 years to complete the structure, construction of his palace. I wonder if you notice an anomaly there, that he spent nearly twice as long on his own dwelling as he had on God's dwelling. I wonder where his attention was directed to after the affairs of state were finished for the day. Did he spend, was he kind of, kind of guy that contemplated weaknesses and forming new alliances and marrying more women? Was it about modernising the army and sourcing better horses? Was he looking to extend a palace or put elaborate furnishings in a banquet hall? Or was he thinking about which wife he'd invite to dinner that night? What about us? I wonder if our safety is in our homes and our friendships or our job title. Do we rely on our riches stored away in a future super fund or a share portfolio? Maybe we have too many toys and other stuff that we own and we're seeking pleasure in the wrong places. What kind of entertainment do we invite into our home by the TV or the computer screen when we watch it? So I invite you to spend a moment reflecting on who do we want to please more than God? Who do we allow to influence us in the wrong direction? Now, as I said before, the key issue for Solomon is in verse 4. That as Solomon grew old, his wives turned his heart after other gods, and his heart was not fully devoted to the Lord his God, as the heart of, his, of David his father had been. It wasn't that Solomon stopped going to his own temple, it's just that he started going to the temple of other gods. And he wasn't fully devoted, fully committed to God. Solomon was given discernment to assess and judge others, but he lost awareness of himself, particularly in regard to the laws of God. Now, perhaps he was hedging his bets by worshipping other gods, but I think it's more likely that he was just displaying devotion to his wives, keeping them happy. It would have been quite a job with so many. But either way, he was not fully devoted to the one true God. The greatest threat to God's kingdom is not from enemies without, but from everyday influences such as his wives. Even when um, Israel and Judah were attacked, um, these attacks, we're told, were the um, these nations that attacked them were God's instruments of judgment. So God was keeping an eye on Israel and keeping it safe, and He didn't need all those horses, and He didn't need such a big palace. 
And the past experiences of God appearing to Solomon and his experience of being blessed by God with the gift of discernment are not enough for him to remain faithful. Faith is not just a one-time deal, but it needs to be exercised daily. Faithfulness is a deliberate daily choice. Now the Apostle Paul urges the Philippians to live as citizens of heaven and in fact to live out their salvation, to let this salvation shine in a dark world. How do we stop our hearts turning like Solomon's? The choice is between a self-reliant arrogance and a comfort or a continual gratitude for what God has done for us. We need to remain humble in our successes because we acknowledge that God is sovereign. Now the sermon series plan has the title of today's sermon across Mosaic as the fight for the kingdom. I want to suggest to you this morning that the fight for the kingdom is actually an internal struggle. It doesn't end during our earthly life, but we must fight it each day. Solomon stopped fighting, but Paul did not. Paul says in Romans 7.18, For I know that I still have a sinful nature, for I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot always carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. What a wretched man I am who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death. And of course, Paul's answer is Jesus does that for us. The point he's making is that our overcoming, our winning of this internal battle is not by human effort. For it is God himself that is the author and perfecter of our faith. We read in Hebrews 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, this follows chapter 11 in Hebrews, which is the hall of fame for those faithful. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, or as the King James Version says, the author and the perfecter of our faith. So going back to Paul, when he urges the believers in Philippi to live out their citizenship of heaven, he asks them to work hard to show the results of your salvation. And he immediately goes on to say, for God is working in you, giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. I wonder if you're involved in particular Christian causes. Maybe you're involved in political lobbying through ACL or MICA Challenge. You might have been involved in petitioning for school chaplaincy last year in the ACT. Any other worthy causes? I wonder if these zeals for these campaigns and these issues keep you from daily quiet reflection. Reflections on your failings and your constant need for God to be the one to give you the desire and the power to do what pleases him. So I'd like to bring this reflection to a close as we pray together.
Lord Jesus, we acknowledge you as the author and perfecter of our faith. May we not lose focus or be distracted by wealth, power and pleasure as Solomon was. But may we continue to fight the good fight, or as Paul says, to run the race set before us with perseverance. Lord, we acknowledge our need for you to grant us the desire and the power to choose rightly every day. And we ask that you be with us in our conversations and actions this week. And in Jesus' name we all say, Amen. Amen. Thank you.